Hello. How are you? Come on in. Welcome to to my podcast. This podcast is called Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. That's me. I'm Eve. I'm the host of the podcast. And around here, we like to talk about DNA discoveries. Y'all would not believe the things that people discover. It's really wild. Uh, Can you even imagine what it would be like to find out as an adult or as a child, but we're talking about adults, as an adult that you were adopted and no one ever told you, or you were donor conceived, or your birth was the product of an affair that you never knew about? Well, if this hasn't happened to you, you probably could not imagine it. And that's why this podcast exists. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, If you are someone who identifies with this kind of DNA discovery personally, uh, you may be doing uh, like a tour of all the podcasts like this. There's a handful of us out there exploring this issue, asking people to tell their stories, trying to raise awareness about DNA testing. Maybe you listen to all of them or you have like a list of all of them to get to. Hopefully you have come across or you have have on your list the podcast called Sex, Lies, and the Truth. And that is co-hosted by Jody Klugman-Rab and Christina Bryans-Fitzgibbon. It's a great podcast. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because today I'm going to play my conversation that I had with Jody, uh, one of the co-hosts of the show. Their show is really great because, um, well, so Jody comes to it as a therapist and Christina comes to it as a genealogist. And so they explore people's stories from those two like unique perspectives. Uh, and it just makes for a really neat, it makes for a really neat, neat format and a new way to, to talk about and think about these things. So I highly recommend it. A few years ago, I was on the show and then I guess the pandemic happened or something. I don't, I don't really know what, but I'm just finally getting Jody over here. So I don't know why it took so long. I'm sort of embarrassed, uh, but I'm grateful for her time and her story. Also, something that I want to mention is that Jody has been working tirelessly as a therapist behind the scenes within the MPE community. And she's actually responsible for the very first, and as far as I know, only training program for therapists to learn about parental identity discovery, um, like what it's like to be an MPE and how to treat it appropriately with their clients. You'll hear us talk time and time again about therapists being unprepared. And Jody is somebody who decided to do something about it within her own field. Um, I took the course. It's great. I actually, um, I actually, I'm looking forward to, to it becoming more widely available, but I'm actually, I, I would like to take it again. It's so needed. Everybody, everybody in my field, all the therapists should, should be taking it um, because this population is growing as you and I know. Anyway, uh, I'm really excited for today because Jody is such a good storyteller. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and play it. But hey, let me talk to you about something else really quick first. Did you know that I consider myself a casual vegetarian? Yeah, when I'm not making this podcast, I'm also not eating meat. Whether you're a vegetarian or not, you may have discovered non-dairy creamers, and I love oat milk. So I'm going to tell you real quick about Willa's Kitchen. Willa's was founded by two sisters who were tired of plant-based milks that were mostly made of artificial, highly processed ingredients and loads of sugar, rather than actual plants. Plus, their grandmother Willa's recipe used real organic ingredients to create a deliciously smooth oat milk, and they thought, why not bring hers to the world instead? As they started on their entrepreneurial journey, they kept learning more and more about the way plant-based milks are normally made. Heavy processing, loads of food waste, and lots of funny business, including ingredients like rapeseed and canola oil that they didn't want to be drinking or feeding their kids every day. The biggest shocker they found was that oat milk is typically made with the oat sugar, and the best part of the oats are filtered out. This resulted in oat milk with a super sweet taste without all the benefits of the oats. Willa's is made with the entire oat, which gives it a rich, smooth taste and maintains all the oats, protein, and prebiotic fiber, which makes Willa's zero food waste. It's not just a healthier, more sustainable milk. It's super tasty. And I can tell you, listeners, they sent me a box, and I'm loving it. Willa's has been highlighted in Bon Appetit not once, but three times. Find Willa's Oat Milk at willaskitchen.com. That's W-I-L-L-A-S-K-I-T-C-H-E-N.com or on Amazon. If you use the promo code, everything's relative, 
you get 20% off and you'll be supporting this podcast. That's promo code everything's relative to get 20% off. Okay, thanks. Back to the show. So tell me about what happened in 2016. Tell me about your your MPE life. Oh, 2016. I took the test technically in 2014. And this is an interesting back part of the story. I never felt like I was part of my birth certificate father's side of the family. I always felt like an outsider, not just because I was the only redhead in the family on either side, but because they were not warm and and inclusive. And there was just this sense of being different that I couldn't articulate and I didn't fully understand. Part of that was that they didn't share any ancestral information with me. And when I tried to do like a genealogical interview with my grandmother, she withheld intentionally. I don't know. And why do you want to know? She'd ask. And she was curt and very cold and dismissive. So I had a few names of ancestors in kind of the immediate past, but not much else. And at the time I attributed it to kind of the typical response that a lot of Jewish families have who've survived the Holocaust. They just do not talk about the family that they lost. Mm. So I thought this must be that and tried to write it off. But there was always this noodling, why don't they accept me? So I decided after she died and I had a really contentious relationship with her. She was not nice to me. I took my meager $200 inheritance that, yeah. Question. How old were you when, when you were asking her about information that she was being no cold? I was married. So I was at least 25. Okay. But I can't remember the exact age. A young adult. Okay. Yeah. Young I mean, adult. I just. Right. And, and family planning. So I'm starting mm-hmm. to think about <laughs> ancestors and I was really hot to make a family tree. And I have this literal drawn out artistic style family tree with leaves and everything. So I was looking for information for that. And so it, it must've been in advance of my son's delivery, which would have been, let's say 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. And as dismissive as she was, I just decided I would kind of put it off. And after she died and left me $200, I bought a 23andMe test with that $200. That's amazing. And I did it with the intention, and I will do this in air quotes uh, and tell the audience that I'm doing that to get to know my dad's side of the family because they were not forthcoming with the information themselves. So I didn't realize that. The dad's side of the family that I was going to get to know was not the dad that I believed was my dad. It was an entirely new man who was Scottish and not any of the German, Russian, Ashkenazi Jew heritage that I was expecting. I don't know what it was that had me disconnect from it, but I looked at the results and I didn't think much of it. I thought, okay, Scottish, that's really interesting. I've always loved Scotland. How fascinating that that's part of my background. And I guess I've just never been very good at math either. So I didn't put into account that 50% of something meant that it was a first degree relative. And I sat on it for two years. I'm kind of glad that you are talking about that. I mean, if if this has happened, this comes up every once in a while, but I don't you know, and my story is a little bit different because I got a phone call that that told me the information. But I don't think I would have thought of it either. Like I don't. It's <laughs> not what you expect, right? Not. I don't know. I don't know what part of my brain just. Yeah, if you're not expecting it, or you're. I don't know. I just. I'm just. I. There's some. I don't know what that's called. What what our category or school of people is called, but the the unsuspecting <laughs> or something like right. something about being maybe somewhat dense. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Yeah, naive, like, yeah, not doing yeah. the math. We don't, we don't put two and two together. I don't like. I mean, my husband jokes with me about my math inabilities regularly, but that notwithstanding, I just think it must have been a protective factor that I wasn't looking for it. It wasn't something I was at all able to comprehend. And it wasn't entirely unwelcome. And I think that might have been part of it. Mm. As soon as I, 
saw Scottish, I kind of got excited. Like, oh, this is great. I've always loved Scotland. How cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I didn't take it any further than that. Now, what is interesting is my mother became belligerently angry. Oh, what do you mean Scottish? And she would huff and puff around the house. She was living with me. And and she lived with me for 10 full years, helping me to raise my kids so I could work and would complain about this occasionally. Well, you know, that's wrong. And I would say to her, why do you think it's wrong? It's science. Mm -hmm. Now, my mom has never been to college beyond maybe a semester. Mm -hmm. She's a smart woman, but it never occurred to me that she was trying to keep a secret. Mm -hmm. So here's an immense wedge that I'll put in this story. This was not my first NPE. Right. I was told when I was 12 by my mother that the man on my birth certificate was not my father, but my stepfather was really my biological father. This again was welcome news because the man on my birth certificate was an actual ass. He was a Vietnam vet who had been through at least two tours in Vietnam And I don't think his PTSD was really understood, much less diagnosed. So my weekly Saturday visits with this man as my father was spent mostly alone watching Abbott and Costello reruns while he slept off a bender. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so when, when my mom said, he is not your dad, how would you feel about Wayne being your dad? (laughs) I thought, fantastic. Yeah. Does it mean I don't have to see this guy anymore? And my, my stepdad, Wayne, was the ultimate dad. He was a dad in every way, and it was entirely positive. He was nurturing. He was loving. He was patient and um, really an all-around great guy. And I guess in hindsight, a really important factor was that he was very stabilizing to my mother. Mm-hmm. And only therapists would say that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a grounding force. Hmm. Grounding force. So around 12... Uh, we went through a very new procedure at the time, which was DNA test. And they, sh- they showed, demonstrated that Sam, my birth certificate father, was not my father. And they didn't test Wayne. And I think that was strategic on my parents' attorney's part, because mm-hmm. all you needed to do was disprove that the, the plaintiff was not the father And you didn't really need to prove who was. They were taking my parents' word for it. Because at the time, I guess this must have predated Maury Povich and all the rest (laughs) of it, right? (laughs) Well, and did your, just like, did you have, did your mother have an explanation at the time that made sense to you at age 12? That was like, oh, she said this one guy was my father, but turns out it was this other person. And I I like that person better anyway. Yeah. It did. And, uh-huh. and it okay. more so now that I've gone through this a second time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, in hindsight, she was relatively forthcoming. Knowing what we know now as to podcasters and therapists that deal with this professionally, people lie about this yeah. all the time. And although I was lied to for 12 years because she knew full well he wasn't my dad, she did it, I understand, with the best of intentions. So she was married to this man. His name was Sam. He was her second marriage. And she came from a very devout uh, Roman Catholic Italian family. And another anomaly of this is that she was an only child of her parents, which is not typical of Roman Catholic Italian families. Yeah, that does not track, but okay. Doesn't. (laughs) So her first marriage was annulled because it was right out of high school. She remarried in order to leave her tiny Western Pennsylvania town. He was in the army and it was a great reason to get out because they were stationed all over the country. And then he was deployed to Vietnam. He was a major in the army and was in tanks. So he held that actual kind of prominent role. Wow. But when he came back, he was really damaged. Mm-hmm. And their marriage had really suffered for it. They couldn't connect. They weren't having sex. They were barely even seeing each other. He turned out to take another assignment that took him out of town three weeks out of every month. And that left her alone. Yeah. She bought a house and brought in some roommates in order to help make the payments, but was establishing some 
individuation and some independence for the first time in her life. Right. And it was the seventies. And for anybody who knows California or the <laughs> Bay area in general, it was a swing in time in, in the seventies in Northern California. She was learning how to live. Yeah, she was. And as a woman, I don't fault her for that at all. I completely understand why she did what she did. She was taking some ownership of her life, resigning herself to being married to a man she didn't like anymore. But because she came from this very religious family, it was culturally inappropriate for her to leave. So she was trying to make the best of her situation. And I totally get it. What she wasn't counting on was that she got pregnant Mm -hmm. after having a series of affairs with multiple partners pretty much at once. Mm -hmm. They They were all overlapping. And she had had her tubes tied a couple of years before. So she really thought she wasn't going to get pregnant. At least that's the story. That's the story. I mean, but sure. Yeah, it happens. Oh, man. It was a new procedure. It was Mm -hmm. an army hospital that did it. Who knows? So uh, I was born in 74, you know, so conceived in 73, right when Roe v. Wade was legalized. She could have gone that route and she didn't. So here I am. And to her credit, she decided to try and make it work. And then couldn't with him as the dad because he was such a holy mess that um, occasionally after leaving me with him, I would have dislocated shoulders and hips and Mm. things like that, you know, pretty, oh boy, pretty nasty child abuse scenarios. Mm. So she finally decided to leave him, which I think took a lot of balls Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't really go through the court system, but said, let's just set up weekly visits. You can see her on Saturdays. And so I did for 12 years. 12 years. And she, according to her, picked the man that she thought was my father. His name is Wayne and didn't intend on marrying him. And I guess he sort of pressured her into it. And eventually they got married. I was a bridesmaid at the wedding. I was four years old. <laughs> and Wayne became my stepdad. And that's how I viewed him for my first 12 years, all the while seeing Sam until my mom that fateful day said, what would you think if Sam's not your dad? And I said, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. At which point Wayne formally adopted me and changed my name to Klugman, which was his name. Right. So when you talk about not fitting in with your dad's family, you're talking about original birth certificate father. Or you're talking about Wayne? Wayne. But it's an interesting point. I don't recall ever meeting any of Sam's family. Okay. I was about to say, like, so you say you kept a relationship with Sam's mother, but didn't. Okay. Nope. 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 No. Uh, organized. Okay. Outside of my baptism, which took place at the San Francisco Presidio, which I think his parents came out for because Christina, my genealogist and co-host in the podcast, found the newspaper clipping that said that they came out for it. Mm. I think that was the only time I met them. And I have no cognizant memory of that. Right. Right. Otherwise he had sisters and, you know, they were Mm. all also in Pennsylvania in the same small town. And I don't recall ever meeting them. So it was my stepdad turned biological father, Wayne, his family. Okay. So you were happy that he was your father because he wasn't um, Sam. Yeah. And he wasn't abusive and, and, and suffering from, from terrible PTSD, but you still didn't feel a connection with him. Uh, did. With him, a deep oh, connection. Okay. But not with his family. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So his dad was actually quite inclusive and embracing of me. He was great, but it was my grandmother, my aunt, her husband, and my three cousins um, that were not. And the rest of the family lived in LA. So we were fairly removed from them in Northern California. Uh, I try to justify it by saying they first met me as the stepchild. Mm. And how easy is it to just say, oh, all of a sudden you're the biological child? How does that work? Because that makes my mom the whore. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, mm-hmm. that whole right. scenario archetype. So we limped along trying to have a relationship for a long time. And then when my dad died, they kind of pulled away. And I, 
I experience it as though they kind of took the cue. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. We're kind of done. <laughs> mm -hmm. We don't have to deal with them anymore. That's really how it felt. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how they actually intended it to come across, but their actions displayed that. So that's what I'm going off of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I took this test. And when the results came back and I understood what they meant in 2016, I thought to myself, I better ask my aunt to take a test because that'll show that I'm still related to my dad, right? Because I don't know what this whole Scottish thing is. So I innocently asked her, hey, I'm, I'm trying to you know, learn more about our heritage. And um, I took this 23andMe DNA test. Would you take one? And I bought her one, sent it to her. She happily took it. Mm-hmm. And then when the results came back, it showed no DNA match. No DNA match with you. Yeah. So this is Wayne's. Wayne's sister. sister. So I thought, and it's okay if I swear here. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I thought, fuck. Um, <laughs> totally. Not again. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, again, my husband being the you know, speaker of truth, he said, so what are you going to do with this now? And I said out loud, I don't know. I guess Sam must be my dad after all, because. <laughs> oh, right. Because what, like, what's the probability that it could, that you could possibly bring in a third variable at this I've point? Had right. Like, I've had dads. Right. Biological dads at this point. Why on earth would there be a third? Right. Yeah. I guess that, that. <laughs> yeah. So he said, okay, you're just okay. Kind of sitting on it. And I thought, well, yeah, because I think I know who it is. Sam's last name was Pearson. They were British. And I thought, okay, British, Scottish, you know, Pretty, really close. Mm -hmm. All right, fine. Um, I can make peace with that. At least I know who it is. <laughs> uh -huh. So then I contact a referral that a friend of mine had given me. Her name is Christina. And, uh, she runs this company called My Hoodie Project. And I can't remember now actually the impetus why I decided to finally contact her, but I think I was looking for verification. Like, it, is this real? Am I right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I still was doubting myself. And she said, oh yeah, yeah, you're not related. And, and then she kept throwing out these sidebars that really screwed me up. She said, well, are you sure your mom's your mom? <laughs> Like, yeah, Christina, I can only handle so much and that's not something I can handle. So I can't even entertain that possibility. Uh, but what do I do now? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, uh, I don't think that the guy is your dad who you think is your dad. I don't think it's the first guy. And she didn't even hardly look at my information. And she made that assessment and <laughs> a little bit skeptical. I said, mm. I don't see why you would say that. There's no evidence. She's oh yeah, it's there. I just have to find it. <laughs> I'm like, why are you such a know-it-all? Yeah, I was annoyed. And she said, how about you contact Sam's sisters? And I thought, oh, okay. I've never spoken to them in my life, but what the hell do I have to lose? So I craft this uh, messenger, Facebook messenger text, because that's where I found her on Facebook. And I, my name and I'm Sam's daughter and blah, 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 blah. And she responds with, Jody, it's so nice to hear from you. I've been waiting for decades to hear from you. And I thought, oh, good. Okay, confirmation. And she said, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, but Sam cannot be your father. And so I was stunned. She has been sitting on that information her whole life or <laughs> for your whole life. <laughs> waiting for me to contact her. And she said that DNA test that the lawyers had him take proved that he was sterile. There's no way he could be your father. I thought, well, fuck, not again. <laughs> oh my God. It's only the, la it's like the laughter of absurdity. Totally. Right. Like I'm laughing, but like none of this is. Well, it's like somebody else's life. Yeah. I mean, like how many left turns could you be asked to take in one right. series, one, one event? What felt reasonable was what I kept coming back to. And I suppose that's part of my psychology training, but I kept thinking and, and saying to Christina, it's not reasonable. And she said, you're not dealing with reasonable. You're dealing with sex. Nothing is reasonable when it comes with sex. Oh my God. That's such a good, do you have a bumper sticker of that yet? 
I don't, but guys should <laughs> you're not, not a bad idea. Reasonable. You're dealing with sex. <gasps> I see tote bags in your future. <laughs> so I gleefully turned everything over to her and I said, you do whatever you want to do. But if you tell me my mom is not my mom, I think I might go insane. So I don't even want to entertain that idea. Just find out who my dad is. And in two weeks, she found him. She took my 23andMe results and uploaded them to Ancestry. You know, I did that and a few other tests and she, you know, sent them out to every possible conceivable platform and got a hit on the Ancestry platform with a second cousin. Maybe he was second to my bio dad. So I guess third to me and uh, had everything kind of all scoped out, but wanted to have everything tied off with a nice bow before she presented everything to me. And the one holding point was that she couldn't find a residential address for him in the Marin area or surrounding areas the year that I was conceived. And Mm. that was the smoking gun. She needed to be able to place him. She found a real estate license that had placed him in the county, but not a residential listing. And she couldn't find him listed anywhere in the year prior, the year of, or even the year after. So she was waiting. And I, all the time was thinking, this will be years. I was really, and I'm not a patient person. And I was thinking to myself, this will be years before I find anything out. And the only reason I decided to really go forward with this was because Ben, my husband said, the people involved in this are getting older and they're going to start dying. So if you want to know something, you better start figuring it out now. So that's a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. That's when I gave Christina the green light. And then uh, we went on a an awesome European vacation with the kids, took them to Europe for the first time. It's 2017. And our last stop was a really nice tour through Scotland because my happy place. Because you love Scotland. Love Scotland. Went to Edinburgh, had the greatest time, traveled all the way through, took the Harry Potter train, went up to the Isle of Skye, stayed in Portree and my kids got to partake, like be part of the Highland games on the mm-hmm. Highland sky. And the last stop before we flew home was Inverness. And I get a text from Christina as we're checking into our Airbnb. And she said, you're hundred percent Scottish on that side. So 50% Scottish. Mm-hmm. I have a name, but I'm not going to give it to you until you come home because she knew that I would start searching. Mm-hmm. It up. <laughs> Just know you are definitely Scottish on that side. And I have all the information. And when you get home, we're going to go over it all. She had finally given up on trying to find his residential address. So I immediately went to the Tesco down the street with Ben. And I think we got to maybe three bottles of scotch and (laughs) drank all of one of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably within an hour. And then went to the Culloden battlefield, which was the site of the last stand between the Scots and the Brits before Scotland fully went under British control. Mm -hmm. And it signaled the end of Scottish culture, definitely the Highland culture. And there was, it's a pretty profound place to begin with. It was, uh, it's mass graves on both sides for the British and the Scots. And it's very... Uh, palpable energy in the air. And so that mixed with, I was overcome with, well, shit, this is all true. And I don't know who this person is, but somehow I'm connected to him through this place, through Scotland. And I was just really sad and quite drunk, frankly. (laughs) Glad you said it. Yeah. And then um, came home and she said, your dad's name is McLeod. And Here's what I could find of him. I cannot find where he lived, but here's a phone number. There's no email, but here's the address. And let's schedule a time that we can powwow around how to contact him. She has a script that she likes her people to write out and letter format. And I sent a registered letter to him. It came back to me unopened all of my voicemails went unanswered and I was getting really frustrated because I thought I have come this far and now I know your name, God damn it, but you're not going to respond to me. And he's near, he's in the Bay area. He was in 
the Bay Area, San mm-hmm. Lorenzo, mm-hmm. which so close. from where I live is a 40 minute drive. And I was getting more and more irritated at the fact that he wasn't responding because now I have no closure. Mm-hmm. I was prepared with Christina's help for some rejection that if he had responded with thanks, but no thanks, or I don't know who the hell you are and there's no possible way. I was repa- prepared for a lot of different scenarios, but not the one where he didn't respond. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not patient. So mm-hmm. we thought, well, do we have all the right information? How weird that the letter came back unopened. And Ben said, you know, your mom keeps a a journal of sorts where she just writes stuff down in this notebook. Maybe there's something in there about that. So I kind of dismissed it, but I was at a dead end. So I thought, okay, well, when I get home after work, I'll go looking for it. And I had let it slip somewhat intentionally a few months prior to this, that I had hired a genealogist to figure out where the Scottish came from. And that seemed to light a fire under her butt. Otherwise, I told her absolutely nothing of what I was doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it seems she started searching for him because I found this journal and she was going through a timeline in the journal of when she was with what man. And and this is 40 years after, right? Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Cloudy. So, you know, she was trying to get a timeline with dates and all of this. And there was his name. And she found a phone number was one of his phone numbers that was no longer valid. Christina found the real one. And she was trying to contact him to tell him to leave me alone and don't respond if I contact him and all this stuff. Your mom is, your mom is, was alive at this time. Still is. Still is. Okay. She was living with me at the time. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Just just wanted to revisit those, those parts of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I share in your nervous laughter there because Mm -hmm. it's so tense. Mm -hmm. I've like stopped breathing as soon as, as soon as you said, as soon as you said, Ben, my husband, Ben said, you know, (laughs) your mom keeps a journal. I was like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) yes. And there it was. Ben, I think has worked for the CIA. He's got Mm -hmm. all this fortuitous knowledge. Anyway, uh, I thought, okay, well, there it is. Smoking gun. I can't ignore it now. It's real. She knows his name, but my cousin is a retired CHP. And he said, you know, cops never interrogate witnesses unless they have all the information themselves. So I know your mom and I don't think she's going to tell you the truth. So don't bother talking to her about it until you have all the information you need. So I took his advice. That's why I told her nothing except for that. I had hired this genealogist and I'm kind of glad I did because it dropped the hint at the right time that spurred her to confirm me at the right time. So I decided I'm getting nowhere with trying to reach this guy. I'm going to show up at his door. (laughs) I'm an impatient person and I'm stubborn as hell. So it was Labor Day weekend. For anyone listening right now, this is not behavior we uh, suggest or condone. Do not do what the guest did. Do not do it, even though it worked out in my favor. Right. (laughs) Generally not recommended Mm -hmm. and for all the right reasons, right? You could get hurt in a lot of different ways. If, if not physically, you could get significantly emotionally hurt. Right. Do as we say, not as we do. Yeah. I go knocking at his door. I have one picture of the guy because he's off the grid, no social media, nothing. I knock on the door. He takes a long time to answer the door and he seems groggy when he finally answers. And I said, hi, I'm looking for Tim McLeod. And he said, oh, he doesn't live here. And I thought to myself, oh crap. So I guess that explains why the letter was returned. But before I could say anything else, or in fact, I might've said, oh, but this is the address I have for him. He said, well, I sometimes get his mail here, but nothing else. He's not here. He hasn't been here for quite a while. And I thought, "Hmm." and this guy's looking at me kind of strange. This is not the look that you have when you're trying to send somebody away. And it was nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I thought, that's odd. Um, I'm trained to look at behavior. And I couldn't get that particular part out of my head. And I didn't know what to do. So I left because (laughs) if it's not you, then I'm not going to harass you. I get back in the car and Ben kind of looks at me and he said, what do you want to do? 
said, I don't know, but it doesn't really feel resolved. This is, I'm right back to where I was before. And he was looking at me so strange. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you, do you want to leave? I said, no, I want to go back. He said, show him the photo you have. Just show him because it's on your phone. Okay. So go back, knock on the door. He doesn't come and he doesn't come and he doesn't come. And I thought, well, shit, I've lost my opportunity. Uh, he finally opens in. He's irritated. Mm-hmm. What do you want? And I said, I think this is you. And I shoved my phone in his face practically. It was his high school yearbook photo. Uh-huh. And he's staring at it just in shock. And I said, I think you know my mom. I said her name. I said, my name. I said, I'm looking for my dad and I just want some answers. And I look a lot like my mom. So there's no way that he didn't recognize me when I first came to the door. I almost just screamed. (laughs) And I've heard some of this story, if not all of it. Um, I, I don't, yeah. So what I really appreciate is Ben's perspective on this mm-hmm. because he's behind me surreptitiously filming with his iPhone. <gasps> yeah. Are you serious? So, yeah. We have video of you my have footage of this very first encounter. It's, it's not clear because he was trying to do it from down by his hip. So it wasn't really obvious. So it's mostly of my ass, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a material. <laughs> Uh, but Ben's perspective is you each took so fucking long to say anything. It was so uncomfortable. I could hardly stand it. And I looked at him and I said, I'm a therapist. I can outweigh anybody. Mm -hmm. And uncomfortable silences are our jam. That is where I excel. And evidently so does my bio dad. Cause he just sat there and kind of stared at me and stared at the phone how did you get this? And I didn't want to say, well, I hired a genealogist who knows everything about you. She has your mortgage papers, your naturalization papers, your tax documents. She has everything possible about you. So I decided to omit that part and said, I was able to find this and this picture alone. I said, all I want is some information. Can we have some of your time? And he let us in and three hours later, It was an unusually hot, and you know this from living in the Bay Area, rarely does it get to 105. Oh, never. And it was 105 outside. I think it was 106 in his house because there was no air conditioning. So I had sweaty armpits and I'm crying. There's snot going down my nose. It was a real vision. And he said, his answer to my question of how long have you known about me was from conception. And I was there for your birth and I took care of you for the first two years until (gasps) your mom asked me to leave. (gasps) Yeah. I had forgotten that part. The right side of my body just goosebumped to the max down to my toes. (laughs) He left when my mom asked him to leave. And evidently she didn't really like the thought of him being around long-term. I don't really know. She's not really answered that to my memory anyway. She said, I picked the guy I thought was your dad. I believe she thought that, but I also believe looking at me in comparison to Wayne's family, there's not a chance in hell that I am related to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't look like him in any way, shape or form. We don't have any mannerisms, nothing in common. And I'm in the only redhead on either side. So I think what she was thinking is this kid is probably Tim's and I don't really want her to be. Mm -hmm. I want her to be this guy's kid because he's more stable and there's more promise with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She turned out to be right. She picked the right guy, but she lied about it. And the part that I got mad at. So the next hurdle was talking to my mom. Actually, I should go back. I forgot to say that the reason Christina couldn't find a residential record for him was because he had sold my mom the house as the real estate agent, but then rented a room from her and was living with her for two years, carrying on the affair simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the hurdle that Christina was having. Right. To right. 
genius, genius. If you're genius as a real estate person looking to, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it's genius <laughs> to be off well, the grid, I guess. Why not shag your clients? <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, hello. He's got all these hot properties. It's Marin. Pardon this interruption. You know something I've been thinking about a lot over here at Everything's Relative podcast? Sex. So let's talk about setting the mood. That's right. The mood. You know, when you want to get intimate or perhaps after you've gotten intimate, be it by yourself or with a partner, there is something you need to have on your nightstand. Mod. Mod is redefining what sexual wellness and modern intimacy looks like. They are creating a whole new chapter in the outdated sexual wellness industry. Mod makes modern, body safe, and high quality essentials for before, during, and after sex. They have a whole variety of products like vibrators, lubricants, and condoms. Their products are absolutely beautiful with a lot of attention paid to design, sustainability, and simplicity. Basically, if sexual wellness has a name, it would be Mod. Honestly, these are products you want to be seen in your bedroom instead of hiding them. And I don't know if you guys know how ad partnerships work with podcasts, but they sent me some products and let's just say everyone here at Everything's Relative, everyone is satisfied. One of the coolest things about Mod is that it is a female-led Latinx-founded company. Their founder, Ava, created Mod for all bodies, all genders, all races. Dakota Johnson just joined Mod as their co-creative director. Hello. And guess what? You, listeners of Everything's Relative Podcast, are getting a treat from Mod. As our partner, Mod is giving $5 off your first order on all products with the code Everything's Relative. Head over to getmod.com forward slash everything's relative. That's get M A U D E.com and use everything's relative to get $5 off your first order. Enjoy the mood setting. So we start the slow process of establishing a relationship. And what I didn't realize until well after the fact was I think the minute Ben and I left his house, he got on the phone with everybody he knew that was still alive. Both of his parents had passed and outed himself to everybody. I have this secret daughter I didn't tell anyone about, but I knew about from the beginning. She's just contacted me, literally told my brother, hey, I have this daughter. And if you ever listen to one of the podcasts in the season one of Sex, Lies, and the Truth, you, you hear my interview with Sean talking about that. Told his sister, his brother, sister-in-law, like anybody who would listen <laughs> here, here's this mm -hmm. thing. And we start this slow relationship. And I don't think I told my mom for a week, maybe two, but no more than that. And, uh, took my cousin's advice again and said, is there anything you want to tell me about my conception and my Scottish ancestry? Nope. <laughs> no, not at all. Mm -hmm. Really? because I've met this man, Tim McLeod, who I have confirmed as my dad. And she starts bawling. Mm. And I thought, yeah, it's too late for that shit now, but all right. And it has been rocky with us ever since to mm -hmm. the point where we, we did have to move her out for a lot of other reasons I won't go into as well. And I think my little nuclear family is, is more stable for it. But it's really unfortunate, kind of the toll that it's taken on my relationship with my mom. It's mm. really unfortunate. I wish it were different, but she is not a different person. And I can't look upon what she has done, and some of which I won't mention publicly, uh, any differently. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is what it is. But I carried on a great relationship with Tim for the next four and a half years until he died this January, 2022, really suddenly. Yeah. And it was really, it was really fast. That's what I remember about it. So he's been to both my kids, B'nai Mitzvahs, my son's bar mitzvah, my daughter's bat mitzvah. He had just had mitral valve replacement, like not long before my son's bar mitzvah. So he was a little frail looking, but he was really bouncing back. And as of my daughter's Bat mitzvah last year, he was looking pretty good. He had put on a bunch of weight. He was still very much with it cognitively. It was fun to talk to. We had had a series of 
awkward interviews, I'll call them for the first year where we would just talk on the phone and ask each other questions about each mm-hmm. other's life. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, realistically, you're, you're talking to your father about major milestones in your life as though you were talking to a journalist. It's weird. Totally weird. Yeah. But I think only normal within the context of trying to get of what we go through, what so many MPEs go through, but yeah, we're not, not, they're not, it's, there are so many layers of discomfort <laughs> in this experience. hundred uh, percent. So I get a call from him as I'm on my way to pick up my daughter from school in January, it was January 18th. And he said, so I have something to tell you, which, you know, never ends well when somebody says that. And he said, I have cancer. They diagnosed me with lung cancer and they said, I don't have long to live. So now I was furiously texting Ben. I think we need to go to Tucson and as soon as possible, uh, because I teach, I said, I can't go until Saturday. So let's, let's go then we book a flight and all of this. And in that interim, Tuesday to Saturday, he was diagnosed with not just lung cancer, but it metastasized to his brain, liver, and spine. I arrived on Saturday. Sean arrived on Sunday. We were both able to convince the hospital in large part, thanks to my sister-in-law, who's an oncology nurse, who was able to convince the hospital staff to let us all in at the same Mm. time. Since he was degrading so fast that we were all together on Monday and he was, he had to be restrained with straps in the bed. He could barely speak and we got him in hospice that night and he died the next morning. Wow. It was so fast. That is so fast. Yeah. And the whole time I'm staying with my aunt and uncle, her husband and my brother and sister-in-law. And it was this weird, wonderful experience that I had never had before. So intimate. Totally. At this point in the story, I should say that I've always had an affinity for and felt close to my mom's side of the family, but they were all in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I never saw them. So I didn't feel close to them in the way that you'd feel close to somebody that you see for every holiday and every Mm -hmm. major life Mm -hmm. event. But every time I did see them infrequently, they were wonderful people. So I did have that on that side, Mm -hmm. but this was starting to feel different. So now I'm less than 48 hours away from going back and staying with my aunt and uncle, with my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew this time to scatter Tim's ashes this weekend. So right now. Now, I mean, now you're 48 hours as you and I sit here and by the time, and by the time this episode airs, it will, it will have passed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know what to say about what it would be like to be sort of, not sort of, but to be invited in to the, the deepest, that is like the deepest part of a family. Yeah. Sort, you know, to be. Yeah. Come and be a part of this. Stay in my house. Mm-hmm. We're going to grieve together. We're you know going to do things together, cook meals together. I, and, and definitely she knows my brother. They have known each other his whole life, uh, even though they live in separate states. Doesn't know me all that well. And they left to go to their summer house for a few days to check on some construction things, left us in their house. Like, do you mind taking care of our dog? So trusting. Wow. <laughs> I, I left feeling so close to these people. It was, it was such a, a wonderful, but surreal experience. Surreal. Yeah. 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 It sounds like a dream. I recognize like- that I have uh, a scenario here that is not common. It's, seems that the people, the MPE people in our situation who, who reach out to family, most of the time get rejected. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I don't have any kind of official research around this. I I think right to know does now at this point, but 
the amount of people who reach out and are embraced and obtain information, let alone whether they're embraced, they have names, they have ancestral information, medical information, that's few, but even fewer are the ones who are embraced and maintain mm -hmm. relationships that are meaningful. Mm -hmm. meaningful. Mm -hmm. I recognize I am in the minority, but it also cost me any sort of relationship with Wayne's side of the family. They were furious that I even pursued this at all. Oh, they viewed oh. it as um, degrading to Wayne's memory. Oh. Yeah. Um, I think what they don't take into account is that they degrade his memory by not embracing the child he adopted. Yeah. So I have issue with that. I guess it just depends on your perspective. Yeah. And because I stood up for that and I said, you guys have no idea what you would do unless you were in my position. And fortunately, you're not in my position. So I don't see how you have the right to cast judgment on this. They were really more worried about their reputation because some concern came about that uh, it would tarnish the family's memory and, and reputation in the community. And so I have cut off all contact with them. And for the first time in my life, I actually feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, you took care of yourself. Yeah. And I didn't mention also you and Christina became good, good friends and you started a podcast. <laughs> Let's just like stack it on. Yeah. I'm doing so much. So tell me also about your podcast, um, Sex, Lies and the Truth yep. um, and how it's it's an MPE podcast, uh, not unlike mine, but it's not like mine. and. Um, I listened to it a lot, but tell me, tell me what, how do you describe it? Well, we took the name as kind of a derivation of sex lies and videotape, mm -hmm. sex lies and the truth. Cause that seemed to be kind of the full circle, right? It was the sex and the lie about the sex. And then ultimately the truth that comes out. And I liked the fact that we brought to it something unique that most of the other podcasts don't have. They don't have a co-host format. Uh, one with a therapist and one with a genealogist who goes about finding things. So it's brilliant. It really brought an interesting conversation out where we, in the beginning, the first two or so seasons, we were basically uploading the raw interview where mm -hmm. you could hear mm -hmm. us laughing and, and it was kind of give and take. And then we decided it was, we were getting some feedback. It was too long because they, they were an hour, most of mm -hmm. each episode. So we decided to change the format to more narrative and we'd let the, in, the interviewee's story speak for itself. And then we would insert some of our commentary here and there. And I really feel like that's a, a much more superior format for our show. And we look at all categories of the MPE. So the donor conceived population, late discovery, adoption, and the NPE, the non-paternal events. And there is no end to the amount of people that this affects. I would have thought at some point that it would be hard to find people who want to be on the show, and that's just not the case. Mm -mm. <laughs> but it's also not an old story. Right. This is a human condition since the beginning of time. If you go by the Christian calendar, You've got the ultimate late adoption discoveries in both Moses and Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and wow. then it's mm -hmm. all downhill from there with the Greek myths. And every demigod has an MPE discovery. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the superheroes that are based on those demigods, right? Wonder Woman, Superman. Right. Let them know who their dad in particular is. And then it's in every pop culture film that we revere not to mention Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, no, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We just what make what makes it new is the is the is the name is the sort of the identifier and the technology, and we now have the pieces to connect all the dots. But it was always an open secret. If mm -hmm. it's been in the literature from antiquity to present day, it's an open secret experience that people made fun of. Do you think it's because? for whatever reason, we never considered, we, culture, society, never ever considered the experience of the the NPE themselves and that the joke is always about the parent. Yes, I think that's interesting part of it. 
I attribute a lot of it to misogyny, Mm -hmm. that it's a double standard for women where men can go have sex with whomever they want. Yeah. And in the words of Esther Perel, what consequences do they have? It's a patriarchal society. We give them the right. Boys will be boys. They need to sow their oats. But women can't walk away from an affair or a tryst because the likelihood of getting pregnant is high. So the double standard and the fact that women are just allowed to be sexual, they are only supposed to be pure because that's the surest way to confirm bloodline and bloodline confirms property rights. Right. So it comes down to who's inheriting what, what's the arrangement in terms of a a marriage started out as a business contract anyway, ever, ever about love until De Beers got into it. And then it became, you know, who's getting their needs met on their own terms outside of their marriage. It became a problem for women to do that because it muddied the bloodline and confused the property rights. Well said. Thank you. Thank you for that little lesson, um, Professor Klugman Rab. <laughs> that was really well said. Do you feel like you can see the way that your story has changed from the from the beginning of it to 2016 to now? Or do you feel like it's changed? Yes. And what really pisses me off is that I didn't expect the story to feel like it was ending. Mm-hmm. And there's a significant part of it that feels like it was ending. So on my way home from work on Fridays, because I had a longer commute on Fridays from a different office, I would call him and we would talk while I drove. He was a trucker. So he was happy to keep me company while I was driving. At least when he was working, he was a trucker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we would talk about my dissertation and we would talk about my work as a professor and stuff like that. And he'll never see it. And it pisses me off. Yeah. An unexpected interruption of grief. Well, and it's the second dad that I've lost. And my first dad, Wayne, I guess technically my second dad, see, I even have to Mm -hmm. (laughs) correct myself. Uh, Great dad. But I lost him when I was 22 and I Mm -hmm. didn't feel ready to not have a dad, particularly because he was a really good one. So when Tim came into my life, it felt right. Like, okay, yeah, I wasn't ready to lose the first one. I could use, even if he's not a true father figure, he still is a placeholder for that in a lot of ways. And he'll never take my dad's place ever. Still refer to Wayne as my dad. But what I've noticed, I guess, to answer your question more specifically, from 2017 to now, I will interchangeably refer to either one of them as my dad. But when I started out with this, I always referred to Tim as my bio dad because it just felt different. He never earned really the the right to be called dad. He chose to leave. And in the end, it was better for both of us. And it was something he told me about eight months to a year into our relationship. He said, you know, we're both better off that I wasn't your dad. Hmm. And it was a hard thing to hear. Yeah, that's heavy. There was a part of it that felt like a rejection, even though cognitively I knew that it wasn't, but like you chose to leave. That's ugh. And then I had to remember, oh, but you left Sean too. He chose to leave his son, who's eight years my senior, before he ever left me. So this was this guy's pattern. And knowing what I know of his life and how he lived his life, I don't think that my life would have been better off with him staying as dad. My life was much better off with the man that my mom chose to fill the role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just ended up working out well. Yeah. I mean, that which sort of, I have a similar, I have some of, some of those elements that you just described I, I have in my story and for, and it, it sort of begs the question or I don't know if it begs a question, but it, um, it just makes me, it just makes me think of our mothers of all these women that, that are trying to make the best decisions that they can in the moment. Um, in the historical context that they were raised. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
then you, <laughs> you start like not that I see her doing, you know, but she's like, see, like I did that. She did the right thing. That's not at all what you were saying and not what she was saying, but they are, you know, but um, yeah, it just this stuff is complex. It's really, really complex. It's a different level. Mm-hmm. It's a different level of toxicity. It's deeper. It's way more complex to navigate. And because identity involves so much about family of origin and ancestry and all the different social groups that we buy into as in-groups, such a huge part of our identity is our social identity, that when suddenly that part's missing, even if it's only 50%, mm-hmm. right? like, I still knew my heritage and everything about my mom's side of the family. Right. Technically, 50% of me was intact. But the other 50% that had been completely undermined when that test result came through felt like it was an entire 100% of me that was undermined. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I will concede I am a history lover. So I can't get my hands on enough information about Scotland's history. And when my family left the Highlands, they were from Glenelg, Scotland, which was a stone's throw from where I was when I was on the Isle of Skye. I know that they left on the ship, the Argyle, after the Highland clearances and sailed to Canada and settled in Saskatoon. And that's where my family lived until my dad and his parents emigrated to the United States. All of that information comprises how I formed my identity to feel like I was stable. Mm -hmm. All of it. I learned from my cousin whom I have a really nice relationship with. I, it just makes me so happy to say that I've met him twice. I will see him for the third time this week. He lives in Idaho and I learned that he has the same migraine tendency that I had before puberty that he had the same thing and it was a mystery, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know where this comes from. My mom said, this isn't on my side of the family. (laughs) And it turns out it was on my bio dad's side Mm -hmm. of the family. And that the red hair comes from my grandmother on that side of the family. So interesting how just knowing that you have a partner in migraines, (laughs) right? Like what, what that does to settle your place on this planet internally is is really powerful and sort of inexplicable Yeah, beyond it is what it is. And what a strange, uh, simple little thing that I ultimately felt so seen Mm -hmm. when he explained what he had before I could even verbalize, oh, me too. I I felt like my stomach sank and I felt like, oh God, I finally belong. Mm -hmm. Well, and it speaks to, it speaks to the, the things we can't, we can't describe that we know and we feel despite what human bureaucratical papers tell us about who we are and what it means. Right. Yeah. Really interesting. Thank you so much. You're welcome for coming on and talking so much. It's so interesting. I, I, um, I'm so excited about this Moses and Jesus thing. I don't know how I get, I've sort of thought of it before, I guess, but like tonight it feels new and I think it really cool. Your story is really incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Is there anything that you else you want to say about, about you or the NP experience that I didn't ask you? I would say if the pandemic has shown anything that mental health is super important and that therapy is an exceptionally necessary part of health. Mm-hmm. And MPEs in particular seem to be experiencing an unfortunate byproduct of, of lack of training. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of research practice gap there for MPEs where practitioners are not well-trained in identity to start with. And then not everybody really understands how to work with grief. And even fewer people understand how to work with trauma. And that's the three constellation necessity that I feel like is, is really important for Mm -hmm. MPEs. And that's why I created parental identity discovery Mm -hmm. was to try and 
close that research practice gap. So for the MPEs, regardless of when you found out, if it was 10 years ago, if it was 10 days ago, there is somebody out there to help you. If I have my way, there will be a lot more people out there to help you. And if you by chance happen to be dismissed by an uninformed therapist, please do not generalize that to all of us. Mm -hmm. There are good therapists and bad therapists. Like there are good teachers and bad teachers. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you won't fault them for their own ignorance and that you will continue to search for the right therapist because there's help out there and the therapy can help. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. If people want to hear your podcast, they go to sex lies and the truth, sex lies and the truth.com or any platform where you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, all of it. Wonderful. And if people just want to be in touch with you as a therapist and keep an eye on this course about parental identity discovery, they can go to your website, which is JK Rab with two B's.com. Okay, great. And I will have all that information on my website and on um, the socials when, when the episode airs, of course. And I always say this, but if anybody felt like all of that went by too fast, um, throw me a note and I will get you the information that you need. Um, thank you so much. Thank you not only for sharing your story, but then for doing so much with it for the yeah. community. It's really amazing. It's We're so lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. That's really nice to hear. But when it's personal, right? I've gone through this, so I understand what it means. It's more of a passion than it is work. Mm -hmm. It's what I love to do. It's, it's why I also work with first responders in my private practice. My cousin was former CHP. It's just close to my heart. Mm -hmm. So when that is the case, it's, it's um, not work. It's fun. Jody is so cool. Uh, if you haven't already, get over to Sex, Lies, and the Truth. Subscribe so that you can be up to date with her episodes as they drop. Huge thank you to Jody for spending time with me the other night. Uh, she was exhausted. It was late for both of us, but you would never know it. Uh, how are you feeling? Are you exhausted? Are you sleeping? Please take care of yourself, my friends. And hey, if taking care of yourself means reaching out to me for any reason, please do it. You could find me on all the socials at Everything's Relative Podcast, or you can email me, eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com, and let's connect. If you enjoyed the show and you feel like you would feel good supporting this project in any kind of way, um, would you please leave a review or rate me some stars? If you're feeling really generous, go over to Patreon um, and think of it like buying me a cup of coffee once a month for my troubles. This podcast is a lot of work, but it's mostly work I enjoy. Thank you for being here for it. I'll be back very soon. Until then, take out the trash. Don't forget to hydrate and eat your fruits and veggies. This is Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumel. Logo designed by Ivy McNally, and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Mm-hmm.